Pray with me, church. Lord, I just ask that you would give me all the grace that I need and that we need, that you would speak your word, that I would speak your word, and that your people would hear and do your will. In your name we pray, amen. Can you think of a time in your life when you made an important decision and you only had a limited amount of time to think about it? Kind of reflect back on your life. Here's some potential helpers here. Maybe you had to decide what college to go to. Maybe you had to answer the question, will you marry me? Maybe you had to make a decision on what treatment to make in the hospital for yourself or for one that you loved. Perhaps you had to make a decision, should, should we have another child or should we adopt or not? Maybe you've had to make a decision, should I, should I take that promotion even though it requires me to move to a different place? Should, should I take that promotion even if that means working more hours? Should I get into this particular business endeavor? There are all kinds of decisions that we make in life. And often those decisions have to be made within a certain period of time. And the challenge of such decisions is that if we choose A, it will lead us in this direction in life. And if we choose B, it will lead us in this direction of life. It's compounded by not really knowing where road A will take us or where road B will take us. As much of where we go in our journey of life uh, there's so much that's outside of our control as to what's going to happen. Think about a time in your life when you had to make an important decision. Life is full of these kinds of decisions. And often those decisions lead us on such a journey and makes all the difference in how our lives play out. And that's really what we see before us today. Before Peter and Andrew and James and John... It's strange how God sometimes just shows up at the most random of times. People are just minding their own business and boom, in some form or another, there's God. For Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're just fishing, doing what they do, doing what they perhaps have always thought they would do for all of their lives. And here comes Jesus along and says, follow me. We see this same dynamic in Moses who has run away from Pharaoh. He's run away from his family of origin and he's as far away as he can possibly be when God shows up in the middle of an ordinary day in the form of a burning bush. We see an angel who comes to Mary in the midst of an ordinary world and comes to Joseph in a dream and surprises them with this amazing complex news about this child to be born. We see this in Matthew, the tax collector, when Jesus comes up to him while he's just sitting there at the booth and he says, follow me. You never know when and where God is going to show up. And you never know how much time you have before you need to choose yes or no, A or B. I'm in or no, thank you, I am out. 
For Peter, James, John, and Andrew, of course, this would be a surprising invitation in a lot of different ways. First of all, they would not be qualified to follow a rabbi in that day. Second of all, in that culture, people would tend to go to a rabbi and say, can I follow you, rather than the rabbi coming to you and saying, hey, I want you to follow me. But here we have Jesus reversing that. He's at the very beginning of his ministry. He's just beginning to proclaim, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right here in your midst. And early on in this ministry, Jesus is looking for some early adopters. He wants to hand out some free backstage passes to the tour that Jesus is going on. As we look at this text today, there's so many questions that abound. First of all, why, why do Peter and Andrew and James and John follow Jesus? What was it about this decision where they, according to Matthew, just immediately said, yes, I'm in, I'm going right now? What about James and John's father, old Zebedee? Did Zebedee give his sons the blessing? Maybe James and John hated fishing and wanted out of the fishing business, and this was their opportunity to get out. Maybe they didn't even like their old man. Maybe there was something so compelling about Jesus that in the moment of choice, it was just very clear. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. My hunch is that Zebedee was probably a pretty good guy if he raised James and John, the kind of people that Jesus would say, yeah, I want you around. They left their nets, they left their boat, and they left their father. The text is clear to make sure that we read that in these examples. In order to follow Jesus, it seems that we will have to leave something behind or even leave someone behind. To say yes to one and no to the other. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it meant leaving their nets this is what they did best. It's who they were, their trade. It meant leaving their boat, their livelihood, their source of income, the family business, their financial security. It also meant for James and John leaving behind their father. This had to be hard. Even if Zebedee was given his blessing and said, go, 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 how hard would it be to leave behind their father, and the family business to follow this rabbi. This was no manipulation. These guys didn't go because they were supposed to. They didn't go because it was just the right thing to do or because it was their duty. They weren't being drafted into the military. They weren't being forced to do this. They could have passed. They could have stayed in their comfortable business with their source of income and their extended families around them. Jesus, thank you for the invitation, but I've got a lot going on here, and it's very, very important. Something about Jesus, however, overruled those allegiances, and they went. Of course, if you look across into another part another gospel in Luke chapter 5, you see a little bit of a fuller story here. Matthew abbreviates this for us, but Luke tells us the fuller version. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes along and he's preaching. 
And the crowd's pressing in on him, so he jumps in a boat, which happens to be Peter's boat, and he pushes out from the shore so he can get some space between him and the people. See, Jesus wasn't preaching at a Methodist congregation. The people were sitting in the front row, so he had to get back. Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Then, after preaching, Jesus instructs Peter to go into the deep waters. And Peter says, Master, we've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught a darn thing. That's what the Greek translates, a darn thing. And Jesus says, just do it anyway. And Peter's like, all right, I will. And so they go, and they throw their nets over. And as they say, the rest is history. The nets fill up with fish. The fish are jumping into the nets as they're pulling their nets up. They, Peter and Andrew say, James, John, get over here. We can't hold all these fish in the boat. And so James and John come over and they finally get all the fish in the boat and they finally get everything to the shore. And Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, Go away from me for I am a sinful man. That might shed a little more light on some of the motive for why they follow him. But Matthew doesn't really tell this miracle part. He just says that Jesus came along. He says that he he invited them to follow him, and they did. And maybe Matthew doesn't explain the whole story because Jesus isn't always going to come before you and do a miracle in front of your face before inviting you to follow him. He's not always going to come and do something miraculous or spectacular. He might just come and say, hey, follow me. And the choice will be before you. And it won't be because of something great and amazing and spectacular. It's just because Jesus himself, the very person of God, is right there in front of you. And you have a choice to make with a limited amount of time to make that choice. The challenge for us is knowing in our lives, when is Jesus saying to me, follow me? When is he saying that to each of us? Last week, we focused on how each of us as followers of Christ, we have to get to that point where we hear in our baptism and we hear in our life what Jesus heard in his baptism. When he was baptized and the heavens were ripped open and the voice from heaven came down and said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. If you believe in God and are a follower of Christ, you have to come to a place in your life where you fully accept that bestowal of identity upon you i am god's beloved that's absolutely foundational and without it we will always be unsure of ourselves without it we'll always be standing on shaky ground well there's another voice we need to hear not just the voice of this is my beloved but we all have to get to that place in our lives where each of us here in one way or another follow me The voice and extension of God's voice that says, follow me. This is really a a metaphor or a pattern for all of us. We are all called to be followers. It's interesting, we, we call ourselves Christians, and that's fine, but to... To be a Christian, just it's kind of this static thing, right? It's This is what I am. I am a Christian. But to call yourself a follower means by implication that you're moving somewhere, doesn't it? It means you're 
following somebody, you're going somewhere, you're leaving something behind, the scenery is changing as you go down the road of life. To be a follower means someone else is in control, someone else has the directions, somebody else has the GPS, and you're having to place your trust in them. We're not used to that. It takes work to get to that place. Jesus says, follow me. Come on board with a kind of life that I have for you and 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 you. Come on board. I will show you things that you never would have expected. I think this calling really is going out all the time. It's like a, a radio signal. You know, we're being bombarded with signals right now. You know, we have cell phone signals. There's internet signals. There's radio signals. And like, I don't even, I'm not even aware of them. Why? Because we don't have transmitters in our head telling us what it's saying, right? But if you turn on a radio right now in this very room and you turn it to the right frequency, you will pick up on the signal you will be able to tune in. In the same way, I believe that often God's call is a continual, never-ending call. Follow me. Follow me. It's daily. It's hourly. It's even by the minute. An invitation to follow. But are we tuned in? Are we, as Jesus would say, a people who have ears to hear? It's absolutely necessary to hear those same things that Peter, Andrew, James, and John heard that day. We cannot simply follow Jesus because we're supposed to. We cannot follow Jesus because it's the right thing to do. We cannot follow Jesus because we grew up in church or because mom and dad always wanted us to do so. We don't follow Jesus just because we're supposed to be good and moral people. Following Jesus goes beyond that. That, of course, is never enough to sustain a real life of discipleship. We must follow Jesus because each of us, in some way or another, hears His voice, His invitation, because in some way we see Him and His glory and His goodness and are so persuaded in our hearts, so moved by Him, that we will leave behind something to go after Him. That we're compelled to go into some kind of place that we would not have otherwise gone. Jesus doesn't tell these guys where he's going. He doesn't tell them how the story is going to play out. They come into this with a, a load of potential expectations that doesn't end up working out the way they think. And yet, at the end of it all, when they look back, I don't think that Peter and James and John and Andrew would have traded that decision to follow Jesus for anything else in their life. Follow me. Jesus says, I will make you into fishers of men. Fishers of people. He takes what they're experts at and he, he translates it for them. This is an equipping of sorts. Jesus doesn't just call us to follow him just for the sake of it. He, 
He calls us to some kind of deeper work, some kind of newer work, some kind of different work in our lives. It's an equipping. It's a bestowal of identity. You will be a fisher of people. You will be this. I will make you into who you need to be in order to do what I am calling you to do. In other words, Jesus is commissioning us. He doesn't just tell us to do things. He equips us to do the things He's telling us to do. And He equips us as we go along the way. He bestows His blessing and identity on us. And from that place, we are compelled to do such things. I want to invite you to imagine yourself in the boat that day. And along comes Jesus and He says, follow me. What keeps you from following Him? Often, what keeps us from following Him is not that we don't think Jesus can do it, but part of the challenge is we don't think we can do it. We don't think we are qualified. And so, we say, God, I can't do this. Lord, who am I? Who am I that I would do Your work? Last week we talked a little bit about this and how it sounds all pious and, and humble, but often it's just a veneer and a cover for not doing what God's calling us to do and trusting that the God who sends us is truly a God who will equip us. What loving Heavenly Father would send you to do something and not equip you to do it? The God who calls us is worthy of our trust. In Ephesians 3 Paul writes this, he says, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we could ask or imagine. Just take a look at that line. Paul, Paul's almost just saying this kind of as a, as a dependent clause. He's, this isn't even the main part of his sentence, really. And, and he just kind of throws it out there as an assumption. Now to him by the power at work within us is able to accomplish far more than what we can ask or imagine. God can accomplish in you and through you more than you can think. He can do more through you than you imagine. More through you than you believe. We tend to sell him short of what he can do with us and through little old us. So the key in all this is to get to the place in our lives where we can actually hear Him speak to us. To hear God say, not only you're my beloved, but follow me. Most of the time, it's not a boatload of fish that comes in. Most of the time, it begins with a gentle nudging of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever had this happen in your life where God whispers something in your heart and you ignore Him and you go down the road of life and He starts speaking louder? And you keep ignoring him because we're busy about many things. You go down the road of life, and finally God starts shouting at us. And often God's shouting sounds like hardship, frustration, setbacks. I believe that sometimes God allows things to happen to us to get our attention. Got to be careful of this because I don't think God uh, is always... Um, making things happen, but God wants to use the things that happen in our lives. Maybe God wants to use 
health issues to get our attention. Maybe he wants to use financial issues to get our attention. Maybe he wants to even use broken relationships in order to get us to that place to kind of wear us down to where we say, God, I am so tired of trying to live life on my own. I am so tired of trying to do it myself. I'm tired of making it on my own. I'm tired of trying to, trying to just build my life. And, and I'm, I'm sick of it. I can't do it. I just want to give all this to you. I surrender my life. I surrender my career. I surrender my possessions. I surrender my relationships. I let them go and I place them in your hands because it's more than what I can handle. What is God allowed to happen in your life? And maybe is He wanting to use that to get your attention? God has a calling on your life. Every single one of us. God doesn't just call some people and let other people just live lives the way they want. He doesn't just call a few select people and then and everybody else can just follow their own dream. No, God has a calling on every one of your lives, my life, your life. Ultimately, I cannot make you follow Jesus, and neither can your neighbor, or neither can your parents, or neither can your kids, or neither can your friends, or neither can your spouse. Ultimately, it is your responsibility on how you are going to respond to the question of follow me. Peter, James, and John went on to be three of the primary leaders of the church. Two of them would die for their faith, and the third one would be exiled. Their journeys were very different, even from one another. And your journey will be different than mine. Your journey is going to be different than the person sitting down the row from you. We can't really compare our following Christ with someone else's following Christ. There are commonalities, but there's going to be uniqueness. There's going to be differences because of God made you different and he calls you to a different kind of work according to the gifts that he's given you and according to the world that we live in and according to his will. It is your own adventure born out of God's calling and unconditional love for you. And so the question before us, the, the real question of, am I going to follow Jesus is this, am I going to keep living my life as is with maybe a little bit of Jesus on the side? Or am I going to leave things behind and follow Him to lay all my allegiances down at His feet? Am I going to sell God short on His calling for my life? Or am I going to trust Him with the things that I'm just holding on to so tightly, trying to control, trying to, to keep a grip on? The beautiful thing in all this is there's actually a lot of great freedom once we begin to let go of our lives into God's hands. There's a lot of freedom when, when you're not burdened anymore with having to control everything or know where you're going or what you're doing or, or how everything's going to play out in the end because the, the command to follow me is simply saying, I trust that this one that I'm following has got it taken care of. And the beauty about this is that you simply have to say, what is my next step? So what is your next step? Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of a sin that you need to leave behind. Maybe you're being convicted of a habit you need to stop. Maybe you're hanging on to something 
And your identity is around that. Maybe it's a person or a skill set or a comfortable way of life. Maybe there's a relationship that's just not good for you. And you need to walk away from it. Maybe your next step has to do with loving your neighbor in some way. Going out of your comfort zone. Meeting somebody new. Maybe it has to do with serving or giving, whether it's in our church or in our community. Maybe your next step is simply accepting the forgiveness of God that is offered through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is your next step as God calls you into the unknown of following Him? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, would you help us not to simply be Christians or moral people or good citizens alone, but would you call us above and beyond to a life of faith, a life of trust in you? Call each of us, Lord, to unknown places, Maybe geographical even. Maybe unknown relationships. Maybe it's simply in our neighborhood. Maybe it's a a discipline or a practice. Oh Lord, help us to follow you. Show us your ways. And reveal to us that you are worthy of our trust that you will never lead us astray and that we can chase after you and the knowledge and assurance that you give life. We offer ourselves to you today in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.